In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. This is the I Spy Radio Show. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Keeping an eye on big government. We the people tell the government what to do. It doesn't tell us. The trouble with our liberal friends is not that they're ignorant. It's just that they know so much that isn't so. And now, here is your host, Mark Anderson. Well, 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 isn't that interesting? The same FBI, the same DOJ, the same National Archives, whose job it is to track these things, that shrieked about Trump having classified documents at Mar-a-Lago, have been silent as a church mouse since 2017 about Biden having classified documents at two of his offices, one of which was at a center funded by a Chinese billionaire and even storing them in his garage where the lawn boy could just wander on in. Where's the raid? There isn't one, and there's not going to be one, probably because Trump had documents that exposed the Russia collusion hoax in deep state, while Biden's were probably documents to support his and Hunter's bribery schemes. And who in Washington doesn't do that? That's perfectly fine. But of course, that's typical for Washington. Look away when it's your political allies making a big score, but pounce on those who would expose and interrupt the massive money laundering schemes. And that's what's become the whole of government. They are consumed with bleeding taxpayers to reward their allies. The global warming and green energy scheme is just the start of it, as they seize more and more control over the healthcare industry, one-sixth of the economy. Just think of the untold riches yet to be tapped there. On today's show, it's about freedom. As we've said many times on iSpy Radio, freedom is an everyday fight. And in case you hadn't noticed, there is a huge array of people fighting to take away your rights and freedoms. It's an everyday fight because they are well-funded. They are paid to fight and scheme and work with government and develop plans and contingencies full-time with bonuses, with your money, which is the most galling aspect of this entire affair. How much time and energy and money do you have to spend fighting every day? Probably little or none. You're too busy working to pay the taxes and fees they're funded with. As we said last week, government has been colluding with big tech and big pharma and big green to take away freedoms. None of these government agencies are fighting to defend your freedoms and constitutional rights. Instead, they are waging a war against Americans. The reason this fight is so important is because if we don't stand up, if we don't fight now, it makes it that much easier for them next time. They will just keep coming back again and again and again until there is nothing left to take. But aside from that, these policies are causing real harm to real people and to society as a whole. Take the mandates, where many were forced to take the vaccine or lose their job. But now, look at all the injuries. We are quickly coming into a situation where tens and tens of thousands of people, including young, healthy people, are so injured from the vaccines they will never lead productive lives again. Just look at the economics of that situation. You've taken those income-producing taxpayers offline, and instead of decades of them paying taxes... Now others will have to pay even more into the system to cover the health care costs of the formerly healthy for decades. The horrifying thing about this is that people who schemed it all up will make hundreds of billions of dollars for making people sick. 
We're going to be joined in a little bit by Donna Jackson from Project 21, who recently testified before Congress about Biden's energy policies hurting people. But first, I'd like to welcome Kevin Jenkins. Kevin is involved in a lot of high-profile freedom movement organizations, especially health freedom. Among them, he is the chair of America's Frontline Doctors Oversight Committee and the co-chair of the Dr. Zelenko Freedom Foundation. Kevin, welcome to the show. It's great to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we always like to get freedom superheroes origin stories. Was, was there something in particular, <laughs> an, an event or issue that, that started your fight for freedom? Well, yeah, um, it's really interesting. It was an elected official, um, a, um, a, state, a state assemblyman, Jamel Holly, came to my home three years ago to talk to me about an issue that was happening in Trenton. And at the time, people, I think it was maybe two and a half years ago, people um, were down in Trenton. Parents were down in Trenton fighting for their religious exemption rights because some brilliant um, politician down in Trenton wanted to take the ability or take the ability from parents to um, protect their kids through um, exemption. So I, I, I didn't know anything about it. He was just talking to me about it. He says, Kevin, I really want you to read this bill because it's kind of discriminatory. I said, well, you know, let me read this bill. I have over 25 years of, um, you know, public experience in that space. So I started reading the bill and I'm like, okay, you know, this is something that I think, you know, you should be doing because fighting it, obviously. And he started telling me about it when he came back after, you know, a small victory, he started telling me about what was going on, uh, going on about the religious exemptions and what was going on in the medical freedom movement. And it kind of gotten me, it got me to pay more attention. And so he asked me to go and look at a um, presentation that Bobby Kennedy was doing, mm. Bobby Kennedy Jr. was doing. Mm. And so I went to the presentation and I was like, wow, how did I miss that? How did I miss that happening? How, why wasn't I paying attention to that issue? Because my family, we're developers. We've been in politics for, you know, a long time. You know, we kind of basically understand the business community. We understand how economies work. And we understand all of these other social issues that we all played a role on trying to fix in our communities. I grew up in Newark, New Jersey. I went to St. Benedict's Preparatory. And, you know, I come from a community of people that were always working on trying to build something new, be more innovative you know, bring more, uh, contribute more to society. So I just thought that, you know, this was something, I think that God used him to get, to activate me in this mm. space and start to understand what my role is and how it all came about. So I think God used him as a vessel to, you know, push me to take a bigger role in dealing with something. I think some of the most pressing issues of our time. Oh, ab- absolutely. So do you ever run into people who get all mad at the thought that you're defending freedom, especially health freedom? You know, it's kind of like, we live in America. No one is trying to take away anyone's rights, that sort of thing. That's a really interesting question because I don't run into that often. I mean, I come from a community of doers, people that really understood and still understands all of the areas of concerns or all of the areas where we can come together to build a better country. So I never really get a lot of that. I mm. never get people saying, oh, you must be crazy or, you know, that's not true. You know, and some of my friends that are more liberal leaning, they, they are more conservative in their mindset about these issues as opposed to some extremists saying, oh, everything that the government does is right and you're wrong and you should not be attacking the government. Oh, by the way, you shouldn't have anything to say. You should just give your power to us. And, right, and I right. think that that's, that's, a, that's a very interesting question you just asked so what was it like defending health freedom before COVID compared to during COVID or even now that we're into sort of a post-COVID world? Well, it's elevated now. I think we have more people amongst our ranks. The Patriot movement and the medical freedom movement has come together. I think that's a powerful force. They're asking questions about all of these captured agencies. 
They're asking questions about every aspect of government. They're asking questions at the local level, at the educational level, at the community development level. I mean, people are getting more active. I think that the, the, the tyrant's plan is actually working against them right now in a big way because every day people are learning more and more and more through organizations like the Zelenko Freedom Foundation and other doctors that have sacrificed their careers to tell us the truth about what was happening, mass genocide that's going to continue to occur until yep, we break yep. the cycle of tyranny. I mean, we just have to do it. Yeah, the, the tyranny has really been shocking because, you know, the last few years have reminded me so much of that anecdotal story of Nikita Khrushchev, who is credited with saying, you Americans won't accept communism outright, but we will keep feeding you small doses of socialism until you finally wake up and find yourself already, find that you already have communism. And, and it, because it, it has been shocking. I used to think, we lived in this free country, and then all it took was a single disease, and suddenly we find out all the mechanisms and levers to implement communism were already in place when we had far too many people willing to pull those levers. And, and not just in the government, but millions of useful idiots out there willing to attack people who stood up for freedom. What are your thoughts on that? That's right. Well, I, I, I got to tell you, I've been so busy at 500,000 miles, right? Let me tell you what I'm learning about people in this country, even you yourself, and having this conversation with you. You know, the, evol- the evolution of relationships, for instance, when I first started on this journey, it-, it was very interesting. I didn't know what I was going to run into. But what I started figuring out is all of the people in this country were trying to really figure out how do we come together to, to come up with solutions, come together to fight this tyranny, come together to build a better pathway so we'll never find ourselves back in a situation. I haven't really had a lot of time. I got to tell you, it's very interesting. I haven't had a lot of time to process all of the things that I've gone through in the last three years and all the people that I've met and the new understanding that I have about where we are as human beings and why we need to be paying close attention to how we got here so we can build to never get here again. I said, so I've just been extremely like intense. I mean, in an intense way, dealing with those issues and trying to communicate all throughout this country about how you have to find your inner power to find any solution, to build any plan, to do anything that you believe in, you've got to activate that inner power and you should not be waiting for somebody to come and rescue you. You should be claiming that territory and making sure that you will always be there to fight for your children. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, let's go take a break. All over the country, people are dying suddenly, especially young people. We're going to talk about that next with Kevin Jenkins. Stay with us. And welcome back. This is the Ice Radio Show. We're talking today to Kevin Jenkins. He's a speaker and executive who has worked with and for such organizations as the Dr. Zelenko Freedom Foundation, Urban Global Health Alliance, and he is the chair of the Oversight Committee for America's Frontline Doctors. And earlier this week, America's Frontline Doctors held a press conference to demand answers regarding the sudden deaths of young people, two students in Nevada in particular. But before we get to the epidemic of died suddenly, of all of the segments in society that I would have least expected to become zealots for a societal takeover and pushing an authoritarian state, it would have been the medical doctors, in part because basic medical knowledge is that any treatment does not work for everybody. And yet right from the beginning, they seem to set aside their own training and critical thinking to do whatever the government officials told them to do and to think, which boiled down to we're going to treat this new unknown disease differently than every similar disease by using a new unknown experimental treatment, and that's the one and only acceptable solution. Uh, You work with several health freedom organizations, and so obviously talk with a lot of doctors. Talk to us about what they experienced firsthand watching their colleagues suddenly lose all reason. 
Well, they were not, a lot of them were prepared for it because they're experienced and they understand how the system works. But I think majority of them, well, majority of them probably are, are even more shocked on how their profession, their profession to do no harm yes. is now engaging on, um, on, in harming human life. I mean, that must be shocking to them to look at that and say, my God, I went to school, I did all of this work to try to heal human, you know, humanity and work with people and, you know, figure out how to, you know, fight diseases or whatever. And now it has become a part of the corporatocracy. Now it has become a part of the money mill and the doctors push out protocols based on profit margins. I mean, you know, even though we've never really had a healthcare system anyway, but you now really see the commoditization between the, the, the infrastructure of big yep, pharma yep. and the medical industry and how it's weighing on every decision that's, you know, that's appropriate in our lives or unappropriate in our lives. Yeah. So it's very interesting how, you know, between the, the corporation foundation aspect and then the, the telecommunications aspect, how they have it all tied together. Now, it's really just interesting how you would probably say, well, when did they have time to do that? I think they had time from day one because it was always about getting our information. And now they're using that information against us. Yes. So mm-hmm. I mean, it's just an interesting time to be able to explore how how it happened, deconstruct it, make sure it never happens again. But then when you think about the commoditization of the body, I mean, just think about all of the obesity, all of all of the diseases that we've had since this whole vaccination you know, narrative coming out of the Rockefeller, you know, regime of medical tyranny. Mm-hmm. You know, think about, you know, where we would be if we had a system that was focused on the immune system, focused on healing the body, healing the mind. I mean, the mere fact that we were pushed out of that marketplace of health into this tyrannical marketplace of health and the continued commoditization of the human body. Oh, yeah. It's freaking, it's freaking shocking. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. You know, I used to be a, a book editor and I used to tell the authors that I worked with, you know, my goal is to work myself out of a job where I improve your right. writing uh, and uh, yeah. t- to the point where you just don't need me anymore. You might still want me to, to look over some things, but you don't need me. Very different uh, with the medical field right now where they want people dependent, uh, especially the drug companies where it seems like they're, they're not happy unless people are unhealthy and need all these drugs for sure. Um, so right, right from the beginning, COVID had a barely more than zero death rate among children uh, and, and young adults. And yet there was, was this massive, well, is now anyway, a massive push to get the vaccine on young adults and even the youngest of children. Why are we injecting kids with this? Well, I mean, that was, the, that was the plan. That was the original plan to get this on the vaccine schedule, to get this on the vaccine schedule. So listen, they can have a flood of capital by connecting it to our children's bodies. That was always the plan. If they could get that on the vaccine list schedule, bam, they mm-hmm. win the day. They indemnified from anything. I mean, they cover the debt. And that's what that was about. Now there's all of the other parts to it that we're now starting to figure out. The World, Health, the World, Health, um, World Economic Forum, you know, the FDA, right, you know, right. NIH, all, I mean, DARPA. I mean, it's all coming out now. I mean, it's just really interesting. This is some, I got to tell you, everybody that's listening, this is a very special time. And, you know, you got to step away from the TV and you got to go a little deeper because we're seeing a reimagining of everything right now, be it negative or be it positive. There's a fight going on consciously in this country about how, what are we going to, how are we going to value human life? Who's in charge of their body? Mm. You know, who has mm. more authority over your child? You know, who can tell you what to live and eat? 
I mean, I mean, we're in a real battle now. Yes, we are. Just not good and evil, but really, we're at the barrel of you know modern day slavery. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, totally agree with you. So, America's frontline uh, doctors held a press conference uh, earlier this week after two students in Nevada died suddenly. Uh, you know, young people just don't fall over dead for no reason, and and no one can say, oh, this. You know, young people dropping dead for no reason. That happened all the time when I was younger. That's just baloney. Just recently had the Buffalo Bills safety, um, uh, Damar mm-hmm. Hamlin, uh, drop on live TV. Uh, so what are school officials saying or are they being told not to talk about this? I mean, they're telling the line. No, it's, it just this doesn't it didn't really happen. You know, it's just it was something that just, you know, happened on the spot. No, what's happening is so it was already said that this was going to cause Mark. I died. They hit it. Now yeah. they're coming out and saying, oh, well, you know, it's not going to cause blood clots. Now they're saying it's a possibility, hmm. right? So, I mean, think about this. So they were experimenting. They put an experiment into our children. And now because they hid, the, they hid all of the science, the dirty science, I call it, now these kids are dying. And they're still saying, oh, it's not, um, you know, it's not the, the shot. Yeah, yeah. It's not the bioweapon. Yeah. It's not whatever you want to call it. Yeah, sorry. So think yeah. about that. Now our kids have been guinea pigs from the start because that's what they wanted. Once they get into the school systems, once they get our children and put on a vaccine schedule, they're covered. They can kill as many people as they want to. And then when you deal with this issue, you have to think about it that way. You have to strip all of the nuances of, of it and say, this is what they want. They want a fresh kill every day. They want to continue to commoditize us from the day we're born the purest body on earth, and they're injecting you in something that is pure poison. Yeah, it absolutely is. Okay, uh, we are up against the clock. Let's take a break. Coming back, nothing matters unless there's accountability. We'll talk about that next. We're talking with one of those tireless freedom warriors you hear so much about, Kevin Jenkins. He is a speaker and executive working to promote health freedom and fight back against those who would take it away and deny you the right to take care of yourself the way you see fit. He works with America's frontline doctors, the Doctors and Local Freedom Foundation, among others. And so just to get back to your press conference there in Nevada, and you guys were demanding answers to what, if any, role is the COVID vaccine playing in the health of our children, especially those these sudden deaths. You know, it, it's pretty apparent to me that it is playing a role, not just in kids, but adults as well. I, I was on Twitter the other day and I was reading this thread from a registered nurse who simply asked, do you know someone who was once healthy but is now having problems since taking a Pfizer and Moderna COVID vaccine? And there was nearly 1,500 responses to that. Many people are talking about multiple people in their lives who all have uh, had sudden problems after the, the vaccines. Why is it that the media seems to have pretty much zero interest in this? Because they're, they're owned by the pharmaceutical industry. They're, the pharmaceutical industry has displaced the tobacco industry, the oil industry. I mean, the pharmaceutical industry controls it all, the whole, the whole debt. So, I mean, they pay. I mean, the majority of the, the news shows that we watch are sponsored and endorsed by Pfizer or yep. Moderna. Or, yep. Yep. And, I mean, so they own the marketplace. I mean, lock, stock, and barrel. Now they own our politics. You know, the reason why we gave that press conference was to give people a deeper understanding that under the, 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 contra- the controversy that's going on in America's frontline doctors, it's not stopping it from moving forward because it's important that they can correct those issues because that happens. But to make sure that the institution stays strong enough to fulfill its obligation to the, the small donors and to America about actually being America's frontline doctors. Hmm. So it's, it's an, it was important to showcase the fact that 
we're going to be in action in those areas that are having a direct impact on our young kids in this country or, or adults in this country. This is a very serious issue. It was predicted. It was in their studies, and that's a problem. So we all have to start, you know, making sure, and this is why at the America's Frontline Doctors, we're trying to make sure that we keep this in the forefront and that we try to institutionalize something that can go out to get people to pay even more close attention to it. Well, you mentioned that these kinds of adverse effects were in their studies. They tried to bury that for 75 years, I think, was what they were aiming for. Yeah. I would hope that that would erase this notion of blanket immunity that they created for themselves. But what are the doctors in the health freedom organizations that you work work with, what are they saying needs to happen to get real accountability here? Because we all know this is going to happen again if people aren't held accountable. What would that look like? Well, I think at the, at the congressional level and even at the local level, state levels, there should be sort of tribunals to really do an investigation of how this happened at the local level because it had an impact at the local level. It had an impact at the state level. I think all of those communities should be saying, listen, we need a commission or a committee to sit down to see how this all worked. Who took money to do this? Who orchestrated this? Who set up the template for that in our lo- local municipality from an education perspective, from a university perspective, from a faith-based perspective? Like, how did this happen? How did they capture all of us? Mm. And, and what, how, did, how was it all financed? And what was the real trigger? Was it, was it the virus or was it the fear? Yeah. So we've got California now literally banning medical doctors from sharing any opinions that aren't state-sanctioned opinions. Have there been other institutional and or governmental changes that uh, will make accountability harder to come by? Well, I, that's an interesting question. I, it's, I, I can't recall if there's any, but majority of the bills that I've been seeing when I started on this journey three years ago, when it came, to, came down to religious exemptions, that was tested during this, um, this corona pandemic process. Uh, I mean, so there's a lot of there's a lot of shifts. I'm not really up to date on that right now. I can give well, you something concrete. Well, for, but for, I, for I example, uh, let me give you an example here. Um, like, for example, we saw a lot of doctors losing their licenses. Uh, so there have there been changes at medical boards that now make stripping a doctor's license easier uh, if, if they go against the acceptable science? Yes, that's, it is. It's a fact. Hmm. It's a fact. All of those boards are being paid off to do exactly that. Get rid of the truth tellers. Yeah, that's absolutely a fact. That is happening. I mean, just um, over the last couple of years, some of the key doctors in the country um, have gotten their license pulled or had to yeah. go back and fight for their license, and it's ongoing. But the interesting thing about that is here's an organization is supposed to protect the doctor and protect, yes, you know, yes. do no harm and protect. And mm-hmm. those are the very organizations now that are taking the money to be able to, so they can sequester and yep. censor the doctors that are asking questions. So if you're a doctor asking questions, you're anti their narrative. So you get punished. And I think all of those doctors that are on our side, all of those doctors that are telling the truth and all of those doctors that have been on the front lines, I think that they're going to be rewarded in short order because of what they've done for us. And I mean, for us in this country in particular, I mean, to step out and say, listen, you need to ask more questions. So on the other side, they're running out of football field. And I think they see that. And so that's why they're continuing to try to elevate the fear. But now this whole, this whole thing about young people dying on a regular basis, I mean, young, healthy people. Now that is something that people are going to start paying attention to. Yeah. Oh, oh That's very close to home. Yeah, absolutely. Are, are any of the organizations that you work with, 
Are, are they working on how to cleanse one's body of the vaccine and, and deal with these spike proteins that, that your body is now manufacturing, uh, as well as dealing with the many, many harmful uh, side effects that people are dealing with? Well, Dr. Ely, I mean, out of Oregon now, Arizona, you know, Energetic Health, I mean, he seems to be the doctor that's really singular focused on how do you do that naturally hmm. and how do you deconstruct all of that, you know, that was from the mRNA in your body. I mean, so I think, at, you know, Dr. Ely is really someone that I think people should start paying attention to because he's seeing, I mean, huge results very, very fast. So you, can, you, can't, you can't get rid of that, the infrastructure of the mRNA without doing something so natural that it triggers a, you know, a really great response for the right, body right. to heal. So I think that, you know, he is the person that I've been really watching and talking to and learning a lot from. Now, there are other doctors out there doing it that probably have a great protocol, but I started seeing him tinker with that protocol for the last maybe year because he was getting prepared for that. Yeah, we interviewed him uh, a couple of times, and, uh, but he was just starting on, on developing those, and so we're going to have to have him back on that. Uh, Kevin, unfortunately, we're up against the clock. Real quick, if people wanted okay. to follow you and your work, what's the best way to do, for them to do that? Uh, you can follow me um, at kjenkins at zfreedomfoundation.org. I'm on Twitter at kevdjenkins1963, and I'm on Gitter at kevdjenkins1. And I'm on Truth Social at Kevdies Jenkins 1. Okay, great. And we'll link all those up on iSpyRadio.com in case you need to find those. Kevin, thanks so much. I look forward to talking to you again sometime. Okay, thank you. I would like to welcome Donna Jackson back to the show. She is the Director of Membership Development for Project 21, the Black Leadership Network at the National Center for Public Policy Research, one of our favorite organizations. Donna, it is great to talk to you again. It's so uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so we wanted to have you on because you gave some really great testimony earlier this week to the Committee on Energy and Commerce in the House of Representatives. So this is the oldest uh, standing committee in Congress, the Commerce Committee uh, being established back in 1795. And you were there to talk about the effects of the Biden administration's war on fossil fuel. And you were highlighting the devastating effects the tunnel vision push to uh, and rush to get green energy is having on black communities, but to the poor in general. Uh, the Biden administration has been in office two years now. The Democrats held the majority in the House and Senate for those two years. Energy costs have been skyrocketing the last two years. Did the Democrat-led committees back in the day here, the last couple of years, did they ever have you or someone else on to discuss how high energy costs harm the poor and black communities? No, they haven't. And really what you've heard from up until this point was testimonies from activists and academia and a lot of the environmental uh, groups that actually benefit from the grants and all of the money being allocated under the pretense of saving the environment. And it's worse because you have a lot of so-called environmental justices mm -hmm, mm -hmm. groups that supposed to represent the members of the community, but none of those environmental justice groups actually are a part of the community, even ask the community about the impacts that they're having in the community. And you know, the majority of the money that's spent on environmental justice 
never reaches the minority community. It mm. all goes to these groups yep. that are really using it as a slush fund. That's what I call it. Yeah. Oh, oh, absolutely. And I totally agree with you on that. And so what was the response of the Energy and Commerce Committee members to your testimony? And in particular, did the Democrats on that committee show any kind of remorse for the last two years? Because, you know, really a war on affordable energy is a war in the black community. Well, first I'd like to say that this was a roundtable. It's actually better than a hearing hmm. because this was really about an informative, uh, inform- it was an information, uh, it was the opportunity for me to share information about uh, what was going on. Um, it was just the Republican members of the committee. I see. And they wanted to see, you know, what they should be focused on and the direction that they should be taking going forward. Um, it's headed by Kathy McMorris Rogers. She's the new chairman of that committee. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you they were very, very receptive. I'm astonished at the fact that the environmental justice and the climate change policy initiatives are actually supposed to diligently seek out members from that from the community. They don't. Mm. You know, when you hear these climate change policies, it has the same effect of Jim Crow because it creates barriers to upward mobility. Yes. It stops economic opportunities. That means good blue collar jobs. It it de- industrializes the country. I mean, one thing that people need to really remember is that it was the industries, manufacturing, like four order companies, and all of these institutions that actually created a vibrant, blue-collar, middle class for black Americans. They're, getting, they're targeting all of these industries, and they're pushing people into low-paying government assistance and instead of thinking about the economic impacts that it has on communities, it is no way that energy doesn't affect every aspect of industry in our lives. Yes. If you have a service industry, it has energy. If you have a, uh, a transportation industry, it has uses energy. You're talking about farming, again, energy, and all those costs get pushed in to the bottom line that consumers pay. Well, minorities have a lower income, so they're going to be disproportionately impacted. Right now, you have African Americans with a median income, think about this, in Detroit of $20,900, right, a year, paying at the height $5.20 a gallon for gasoline. That's just one. I mean, how can someone absorb those kind of costs. We reduce the standard of living for low-income families and minorities to a, a, a status that we've never seen before that can only be characterized by uh, a third-world country existence. Mm. It, it's crazy. Yeah, it absolutely is crazy. So your, your background is in accounting, and we kind of hear that in your answers here. You obviously understand free markets and entrepreneurship and what it takes to get ahead. Do you get the sense that those who are pushing these green energy initiatives at all costs don't understand the economic factors or simply don't care about who it hurts? You know, I think it's both. 
my my background i've been in accounting and finance i've been in operations i've been in management i've been in sales and marketing i understand that that jobs like corporations the economy runs from capitalism you can't poor people don't hire people companies hire people but if you force an expense on those companies that means that's fewer less money that we have to actually hire people regulations are a cost that never meets uh never uh impacts the consumer because it's just wasted money and it's more expensive and the other thing is this you know this is a war on small businesses too Mm -hmm. because small businesses they have to spend four times the amount that a larger corporation pays for every regulation you institute. That means that many of these businesses, because of the increased regulations are actually closing permanently in the minority, in the black communities and low income communities. That's the bedrock for employment in those areas. So what you've done is essentially declare war on small businesses because they're not able to absorb these costs. And it actually the, the just the red tape and paperwork exercise that they do deters a lot of them from complying. And now what you have is just larger corporations that are running everything, which is automatically going to increase the cost of products. Yeah, it, because it's they just, can afford it because there's no competition. Yeah, it, it is just crazy how policymakers just simply are blind to the harm that their policies cause. All right, uh, let's go and take a break. More with Donna Jackson on the Biden administration's war on affordable energy and the barriers it creates. Stay with us. The National Center for Public Policy Research's Project 21 is a leading voice of black conservatives and has been for over 25 years. We are talking today with Donna Jackson, who is their director of membership. You can find out more about them by heading to nationalcenter.org and then look under the programs tab at the top of the page. And to make things convenient, we'll link all of that up on iSpyRadio.com on this week's show page. Uh, Donna recently gave testimony to the House of Representatives Committee on Energy and Commerce about the Biden administration's war on affordable energy which is really a war on the black community in particular, but all lower income families as well. And, and speaking of, in your statement to the committee, uh, you you quoted statistics from the U.S. Energy Information Administration. I, I, I found that nearly one third of all households struggle to pay their energy bills and that one in five reports having to reduce or forego necessities like food or medicine in order to pay those energy bills. And of course, these numbers are nearly double for low-income and minority uh, households. It, it, it's really hard to imagine that those who support the green energy movement and want the reduction of fossil fuels agenda don't see this reality, but apparently they do. What, what are your thoughts on that? When, whenever we come back and say, listen, our people are struggling to pay these bills, and what you're doing is making them even more unaffordable, then they accuse us of taking dark money, or wow. they accuse us of not knowing and understanding, you know, the environment. They they think that lives are less important than the environment. And the fact is, most of their analysis about the impacts to the environment is actually, uh, at best, overstated. You know, 
there there's always been climate change. There's been yes. situations where we've had weather that had we didn't when we didn't even have uh, vehicles mm-hmm. when there wasn't even all of these uh, 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 energy uh, uh, accesses that we have today. Right. And so there there you know this is a pretense to actually I'm I'm going to say to add money to depopulate the 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 planet. And that's what they really want. Yeah, yeah, they, 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 and they don't hide that either. They, they're pretty obvious. They're pretty open about it. We want to reduce the the population of the planet, and they're doing, they're they're taking out all routes to get there. Yeah, I mean, they're basically they're making energy so unaffordable, but that it will only be something that the rich can afford, and they're doing that on purpose. Mm-hmm. And the the fact that they don't care that all of their policies are creating regressive taxes on the poor, that the poor is actually supplementing the rich on their energy bills. They don't take that into consideration. The only thing we're useful for is for them to grow the government and then create more money for their slush funds. The fact that, um, you know, African, to think that people would think that it's okay to starve a child. And that's basically what they're saying. It's okay. Um, when you look at farming, when you look at transportation, any of those things that are uh, surrounded behind uh, food are heavily dependent on energy costs. Mm-hmm. Heavily. Fertilizers made from um, oil. Uh, the packaging is made from oil. The transportation to get things to the uh Grocery stores are made for oil. All of these higher costs are passed on to, to consumers. Yeah. And they're making it even more unaffordable. You hear about the inflation numbers that's kind of coming down, but most families are experiencing at minimum a year-over-year increase in energy food costs of a 50%. Minimum, that's what they're experiencing. Mm-hmm. And they can't sustain it. But what they do is silence any voice that speaks out and says, you know, minority communities, low-income families shouldn't bear the burden of high energy costs while right. you're trying right, right. to find a green new energy deal. Right. One of the things that I said to the committee is this. Look at Baltimore. Look at Detroit. Uh, look at Chicago. That's 60 years of liberal economic policies that didn't work. And now you're saying to me that somehow this is going to be different. I don't, they, track records matter. And their track record is, has always been that their economic policies cause economic decay. Mm. It destroys communities. It destroys livelihoods. It destroys ambition. And the fact that somehow you would try to remotely accommodate them on these Green New Deal initiatives is going to be a failure. And it's going to be lives that are going to be affected. Yep, absolutely. And um, um, we were talking during the break there about the impact some of these policies will have on on black communities uh, because there's not always jobs within those communities. And so people are going to be forced to drive. And, And you were there with... Uh, Dan uh, Alsaker, president of Alsaker Corporation that owns a trucking company, 
and, and fueling company that operates in the Pacific Northwest, the entire West Coast right now, all, all three of the blue states are mandating uh, that fuel-powered, um, you know, gasoline powers and, and diesel uh, uh, cars and whatnot are gone by 2035. Everything has to be electric by 2035. Um, would you care to comment on that? You know, in, in reality, equality, equality, not equity, equality starts with affordable transportation. And for a lot of communities of color, a lot of income, uh, low-income communities, I'm going to say $2,500 is a magic number because that's what most people have to spend on a car for transportation. In minority communities and low-income communities, the jobs are not located in their communities. And, and, it's, and a lot of that has to do with the liberal policies that increase crime and, and make things uh, dangerous and things they're defund the police and all of those. So they have to drive longer distances they don't participate in what I call the keyboard economy, so they don't have the luxury of being able to work from home remotely. They have to be in that specific location to get the money. They're driving to, they're working two to three jobs to accommodate all of the uh, high energy costs and the inflation. So they need transportation. They can't do that um, when you talk about essential things that they need driving using public transportation. But that's what these green climate agenda advocates are advocating for. And it's not possible. In California, there's no way. I can tell you right now, because I uh, lived in California for decades, and that's where I got my degree from. I had to take the bus two and a half hours one way, two and a half hours one way, to get to school yeah and, and then and, and, another and, two and a half hours the other way yeah that's, that's crazy five hours out of your day that you could be earning some income that's just crazy and, and all of those extra costs that they're adding to driving right now is just compounding the problem for people that are just trying to get ahead all right everyone stay with us we're going to wrap things up with donna jackson after this Back in our final segment now here on the iSpy Radio Show, we're talking with Donna Jackson. She is the Director of Membership Development for Project 21 at the National Center for Public Policy Research. You can find out more about them by heading to nationalcenter.org, and we'll link that up on today's show page as well at iSpyRadio.com. And we've been talking about the Biden administration war on affordable energy. And and so, Donna, you had touched on this a, a bit earlier, but I'd like to kind of revisit it. Uh, and, and let's explain this in a way that even a Democrat policymaker would understand and We'll, we'll try to speak slowly so they can keep up. The reason high energy costs hurt low-income families is because when the basics, food, shelter, energy, transportation costs are high, it eats up money they could use to get ahead. It's a matter of percentages, really. If, if you make 5000 a month and the basics are 1000 that leaves a lot of wiggle room. But a family that only makes 1200 a month, those same basics of 1000 eat up almost the entire paycheck. You've barely got anything beyond the basics. And and now some policymaker who themselves are living on a fat government paycheck comes along and wants to push more expensive energy, you know, like this green energy stuff. Why is this concept hard for policymakers to grasp? You know, um, they, they, they don't live under the same kind of conditions that the average American lives under. You know, it, it comes down to disposable income. Mm-hmm. If I spend more on basic necessities, on my cost of living expenses, that's less, that means I have less money 
to spend, to, to invest, to save, to, you know, help my kids through college. I don't have any of that money. All of my money essentially is going to just the basic cost of living expenses. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying that we actually have enough because we're actually going into negative income every month. Right. Well, what you have is a lot of minority families because the cost of living expenses have gone up so much. So I have, I make $1,700 a month. Uh, and out of that money, I'm spending roughly 30%, 30% for just energy costs. So that's my gas, my my gas, my electric bills, my, you know, just, the, just that. That's before I'm paying rent. That's before I have to buy my kids' shoes. That's before I'm buying food. That's before any discretionary expenses come up, which always happens. That if I have maintenance, something happens to my car that's actually at least 10 years old, at least 10 years old. It sends me into a crisis every time. I'm not making enough money to make it from paycheck to paycheck. I'm making enough money to make it from paycheck to Wednesday. Then I'm borrowing money. from people to help me make it to the next paycheck. So I'm negative going in because I got to pay those people back. Or I'm going to get uh, payday loans at very high interest rates because I can't make it from paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, and and then you're just caught in this this terrible downward spiral at that point. So we've only got about a minute and a half here with you. Real quick, what, what are the possible remedies you see coming out of Congress over this fossil fuel battle now that the Republicans have taken control of the House, do they have enough teeth to make changes and, and maybe even drag some Democrats along toward more sane energy policies? Uh, I think they do. And I, it, what, the, the thing that I got from, took away from the uh, hearing is that they wanted to help. Hmm. They wanted to hear. They may, be, they may have just not had lived in the same reality we live in. Because, you know, a lot of people there, a lot of people on that committee probably had mortgages that were more expensive than what we actually bring home pre-tax dollars. But what they wanted to do is understand how people are really being hurt. And they are. And that information is not coming from the advocates that are benefiting from them. To think that, that someone would even say, you should buy a new electric stove. Because the gas, when it's, we, we ban gas stoves, who has that money? If I can't afford to fill up the gas tank, then how am I buying an expensive electric stove? Right. I'm buying everything that I buy is used. If something goes out, then I'm always in a, in a panic and living in survival mode because I can barely make it from week to week. Yep. And then what do you do? Create energy policies that make it even more expensive. So... Now I'm going from hopelessness to total despair. Yeah, well, it's 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 good to hear that that you felt that they wanted to listen and that they were really trying to understand because understanding really is the first step towards solving the problems. Donna, unfortunately, we're up against the clock. I want to thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. We certainly hope you're at least a little wiser for having been here. Just a reminder that if you came in partway or you'd like to listen to it again or share the show with your friends, it is available on Mondays in a podcast version. 
simply head to iSpyRadio.com, go to this week's show or any of our shows, and near the top of that page you'll see an embedded player. Just click play and there you go. You can also find us on your favorite podcast platform and while you're there, just remember to hit subscribe and the reminder button since the algorithms take that into account and that helps us get a little more exposure. Remember to support the people fighting for you because as we say every week, the best information does you no good if you don't use it. Reagan, what do you think? I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. It's more than a show. It's self-defense. The I Spy Radio Show.